I want to tell you the story of a people born of a compassionate and courageous line, whose roots trace way back to the upper rim when the Holy Spirit first came with fire and whose roots run deep, drawing from streams of grace and wells of hope that never will run dry. A people who emanate this holy kind of wholeness, who take reckless risks for saving grace, who do the right thing because it's the right thing and aren't scared of losing face, because even if they do fail, they will do so daring greatly. They'd rather fail at things that matter than succeed at those that don't. You see, these are not a people afraid to rock the boat. No, they are groundbreakers, freedom shakers, agents of peace and hope, entirely incompatible with society, and yet gloriously, undeniably, downright scandalously free. And these people, they are known for treating their homes as holy hospitals, for welcoming to their tables the soul-sick hurting and the sinful, why? Because they've come to realize that to be welcomed and to be healed are not so different after all. That's why they call it hospitality. And in the eyes of the poor and broken, they see their Lord and King, distressingly disguised and hungry for a bite to eat. I want to tell you the story of a people who know that they were never born to hide, who will go to the darkest of places, crossing way beyond enemy lines, just because they're kind of curious as to how bright this little light of theirs does shine as they lift his name on high, and so with calluses on their hands and fire in their eyes, they press on. Unafraid and unashamed, the one that they call Christ, who showed them love is not a feeling. Love is sacrifice, and he is worthy of it all. Friends, I've used clumsy words to try and describe to you the people I pray we dare to be, who live and love in such a way that doubters doubt their, their disbelief. Amen. Amen. Great. So it is really wonderful to be here with you this evening. Um, I've heard a lot about you guys uh, through Ben and Miriam over the years, and so it's great to finally uh, be here and see you all. Um, as I said, my church context in Leeds is a little bit different. Um, so at Lighthouse, we um, exist to basically bring the, the love and hope of Jesus to those that have just been smashed up by life. Uh, so we call ourselves Lighthouse because um, we recognize that life is, for many people, is pretty darn stormy at times. And we're not talking about kind of the wind and the rain and the floods that we've seen across the nation in recent weeks. We're talking about storms of addiction, storms of homelessness, loneliness, trauma, crisis in mental health or ongoing issues with mental health. And yet we're quite intentional uh, that we, although we want to talk about the storms, we want to be real and honest about those things. We also want to be a community full of hope. Not in ourselves, not in a pill, priest or program, but the person of Jesus Christ. The one who says that he is the way the truth and the life, and for whom there is no darkness so dark that his love cannot break and his light cannot shine. And um, so we call ourselves Lighthouse because when sailors are out at sea and it's pitch black and the waves are high and the wind's against them, what's the one thing they're looking out for? What's the one thing that can fill them with hope that all is not lost and firm steady ground is within reach? A lighthouse, right? And for us as a community and individuals, Jesus is that light. He's the one that we can run to in our time of need. He's the only one who can offer the hope, the healing and restoration that each and every single one of our souls desperately seeks. And I honestly believe that that is as true for us gathered here in our clean clothes and warm homes to go to, though if you're a student, maybe not so warm. Um, all clean, but who knows. Um, I believe that is as true of us here as it is of any of my Lighthouse brothers and sisters across in Leeds. I'm convinced of it. Many of us, we just package our issues a little bit differently, don't we? A little bit more neatly or socially acceptably than a heron habit, perhaps. 
we've all got stuff, right? We've all got stuff that we're dealing with that needs healing and ways of thinking that are off and need restoring and minds and uh, souls that need a fresh injection of hope and meaning and purpose. We heard a little bit about it in the videos. Why? Because God made this world incredibly beautiful. But because of the fall, it's also broken. And none of us get through this life unscathed. We all face storms of different kinds. And yet the good news of the gospel, that's literally what the gospel means, good news, is that that's the very reason that Jesus came. To lay down his life that you and I in this world might be reconciled back to God and have our stuff dealt with once and for all. To be made new, clean, holy and whole. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time this evening uh, reflecting on what that means, why we go through the waters of baptism as Christians, and this picture and this symbol of new birth. And to do that, we're going to be delving into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Uh, if you're there in your Bibles, or if you're kind of techno and go on your phones. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter, five, chapter 5, verse 11 to 21. So the Apostle Paul writes, Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. What a cracking, jam-packed passage. For the sake of time, we're just going to draw out three... Uh, key principles, powerful kingdom truths that Jacob, Josiah, Kate and Millie can take hold of and run with as they officially embark on this lifelong journey of apprenticeship to Jesus. And three things for those of us who have been baptized um, to remind and encourage ourselves of as we too seek to fight valiantly as disciples of Christ, remaining faithful to him to the end of our lives. And for those who are visiting, family and friends, um, can I say it's so great to have you with us. And we just want to offer these things to you as something that we believe and hold to as Christians, for you to consider and contemplate for yourselves and see what you make of them. And so to begin, the first game-changing kingdom truth that we can draw from this passage is, is that those who profess faith in Christ Jesus, as these guys have publicly done tonight, have been saved, rescued, reconciled to God, put back into right, holy relationship with him, both now and for all eternity, set free from the consequences of sin, which is death, 
and all the guilt and shame of the past. And notice here that it is all his initiative. It's his prerogative. Verse 18, all this, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Meaning that this gift of salvation, of divine reconciliation, has nothing to do with who we are or anything impressive or smart that we've done. Rather, it has everything to do with who Jesus is and all that he has done for us on the cross. You and I, we just get to respond to this insane gift of grace. And the most incredible, mind-blowing truth, which is that the creator of the universe, God Almighty, doesn't just allow us to know him from a distance, but rather he desires relationship with us so badly that he would sacrifice deeply to make it possible by paying the ultimate price, laying down his own life, that you and I might be made clean, new, holy, and whole. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an uh, incredible kingdom truth, uh, an amazing gift of grace, one that we couldn't earn, and if we're honest, um, we know we don't deserve and yet is offered to us freely. And yet, as is often said, whilst God's grace is offered freely, to truly experience it in all its richness, beauty, life-transforming power and glory, that's going to cost us everything we have. God's grace is offered freely, but to really experience it costs us everything. Why? Because the, the call to follow Jesus is a call to do just that, to follow in his footsteps, footsteps, die into ourselves, and our old selfish ways of thinking, believing, and behaving, that we might discover this life in all its fullness that he died to bring us by stepping into our true identities as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's what baptism in its very symbolic nature is all about. It's more than just a cute thing we do for babies or this kind of weird tradition that the Anglican Church has. No, it's a 180-degree life turnaround a symbolic and public act that demonstrates that we are pledging our allegiance to Jesus now, submitting to him as our Lord and our King, declaring that he alone is worthy of our worship. Why? Because he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this uh, notion of the lordship of Jesus, what it means to submit to him as Lord, is something that we really try and drive home amongst our lighthouse community. Um, because we reckon that if we do believe what we claim that we do, then this changes everything. Because if Jesus is Lord, then heroin, alcohol, chaos, and trauma cannot be. If Jesus is Lord, then shame, fear, anxiety no longer get to have the final say over our destinies. And the reason, at least the reason I believe, that Jesus invites us to allow him to be Lord of our lives is because he knows that his lordship is the only one that won't crush us. The idols of this world, the gods with a small g, if you like, materialism, individualism, consumerism, people-pleasing, perfectionism, all these things, they, they can never deliver on their promises to make us feel worthy, happy, whole. They always demand more. They're never fully satisfied. And the relentless pursuit of them can leave us feeling numb, empty, and hollow on the inside. But Jesus, he came that we might have life and have it to the full. 
And so we go down into the waters of baptism in the symbolic act of dying to ourselves and the things of this world. In the waters, we are cleansed. We are washed free from all the guilt and wrongness of the past. And we rise up in this picture of resurrection as those brought up from the grave with new life, new hope, new identity, new Lord. Which leads me to our next point. The second game-changing kingdom truth is that in baptism, not only are we reconciled to God, but we begin the process of regeneration by him of being transformed from the inside out. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I love that verse, and it's one that we try and get our guys to memorize and to say back to us. Um, But it's also a verse that can cause a little bit of confusion and consternation uh, if it's not fully understood. Sometimes um, people get frustrated that they come out of the baptismal waters as these alleged new creations, um, and yet still in many ways feel like their old selves. And they go home, if um, at least in our community, if they have a home or their bedsit or hostel, and realize that many of their life circumstances haven't dramatically changed overnight. What was hard yesterday remains challenging today. And the same is true of you guys that got dunked this evening. Like, tomorrow, essays will still need to be written, yeah? Relationships will still need to be managed. If you're in your overdraft, you're still going to be overdrawn, I'm afraid. Um, (laughs) um, And my lighthouse brothers and sisters, they're incredibly honest. So sometimes I say, look, Katie, like, what's the crack with that? Because I thought I was supposed to be this new creation, uh, you know, the one you're always trying to get us to memorize alongside, um, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, So so, so what's going on? And it's a good question. It's, It's a valid point. Um, In fact, I was chatting with one of our guys recently who had experienced a lot of uh, deep, deep trauma growing up. And um, he was telling me how more than anything, he just wanted some of those memories and the the horror um, and pain that was associated with them just to disappear. And we were chatting about baptism, actually, and whether it was was the right time for him to to enter the baptismal waters. And he admitted that he was secretly kind of hoping that um, if and when he was baptized, that when he came out of the water, he just wouldn't be able to remember certain things anymore. And he therefore wouldn't be triggered by them or have to live with um, the reality of what had happened to him. And um, I tried to explain to him how the God who we worship in his wisdom and his love doesn't do magic. He doesn't zaff our brains or superimpose new personalities onto us, no matter how complex our old personalities might be. No, he does relationship drawing us close by his spirit, meeting us where we are in all our beauty and our brokenness, and then taking us by the hand on a journey towards healing and wholeness and holiness, not by magic, but through patient, loving, committed relationship. And that's the beautiful paradox of salvation that we mark by going through the waters of baptism. As Christians, we believe that our righteous position before God, our reconciliation with him is guaranteed in a moment of true belief that confession of faith, otherwise known as salvation. But what then follows is a lifetime of what is known in Christianese as sanctification or regeneration, which is that process um, of becoming righteous, of becoming holy. And that is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like the God of love that we worship as we allow the Spirit of God to bring healing to our hidden hurts and hang-ups and renew our minds and some of our mixed-up ways of thinking and relating to God, ourselves, each other, and pour his passion and compassion into our hearts that we might begin to see as he sees and love as he loves. Which, by the way, is one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray as a Christian. God, would you help me to see as you see and love as you love today? And I'm guessing that you can tell by the fact that I said lifetime that this stuff isn't instantaneous. 
It's a process of growth and maturity that takes time, effort, and intention. It's what we've come to know in our community as the slow burn miracles. Um, occasionally, we see these quick fire miracles um, where people have this dramatic encounter with God, and there's like this really noticeable change overnight. Uh, so five years ago, oh yeah, this is Lighthouse. Sorry, very bad photo. Um, that could be anywhere. <laughs> so we meet in a cafe, um, and that actually used to be where they buried all the dead bodies, which was back in the day. Yeah, but now it's the crypt where we meet, which is great. Um, but yeah, so Jerry uh, came into our church five years ago looking for food um, in a pretty desperate place. And so we gave him food. Uh, we prayed for him. We gave him a Bible. And we also called the mental health crisis team because he was in acute distress. Um, and uh, after he was discharged, he ended up back in the car park. Um, and he had his Bible and he wrote in it, I choose Jesus, no more drugs. And five years on, Jerry has not touched heroin. Uh, we, we celebrate every year. Actually, on his first year, um, we, got, we, had, we threw a party, a one-year free from heroin party, which some people thought was a free heroin party, which caused a bit of confusion. Um, <laughs> but we got to meet some new people. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but he had this big badge and birthday cake and presents and all of that. Um, and so that was, we're five years on now, so we, we need to work out what we're going to do for his, his sixth birthday. Um, or um, someone who I call George, who... Um, was used, formerly known as the fifth most violent man in County Durham. And some of our students met him uh, one evening and invited him to the evening service. And as he came in, he was just full of this pent-up rage and aggression and just a man of violence, really. And he nearly headbutted someone on the welcome team, which wasn't the best of starts. Um, but then, during we kind of led him upstairs, and during the worship, the sung worship, he just had an encounter um, with the Spirit of God. And he would say he just felt this peace and this warmth and this loving acceptance that he never felt, thought would be possible for someone like him. Uh, he's now married and runs his own business. Um, but um, even in those cases, right, even in the quick fire miracles, and both those guys mentioned, I've had to go on a journey of highs and lows, learning what it means to live out the truth that in Christ they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. I mean, the old habits, coping mechanisms, ways of dealing with stress and conflict and anger need to die, that the new ones might be birthed and be able to take root in their lives and their characters. And that is hard graft <laughs> uh, for them as individuals, as a community, but it's beautiful and it's worth it. And my prayer is that the same will be true of you guys here, that as a community, G2, you would see some jaw-dropping miracles in your midst that you would have the privilege of seeing God's kingdom come more and more in your days as his will is increasingly done in your lives. I also pray that you be able to testify again and again and again to the slow burn miracles of characters being formed, of old habits being conquered, of new ones being cultivated, of convictions and passions being lived out in a way that is an affront to the kingdom of darkness. Not just for your own sakes, though trust me, it's good but for the sake of the world. Because in baptism, not only are we reconciled to God and begin this process of regeneration, being transformed more and more into his image, but kingdom truth number three is we also join a community, a family sent on a mission by Jesus to bring revival and renewal to a beautiful but also broken, hurting world out there. For Christ's love compels us. Verse 20, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Um, I mentioned that my husband and I are quite involved amongst the Roma community. Um, we, so 
my husband in particular, for years has been um, kind of advocating for better housing and access to basic services like school uh, and doctors and dentists and all that kind of thing. Um, and because he's been doing it for, how long have you been doing that now? Like eight, nine years? They're quite a closed community, but they just have this like rogue Nigerian guy that's just like fully embedded himself in them, uh, which is beautiful. Um, and because of that, <laughs> but he, um, he's, he's learned the language. He decided these people were, were worth, um, God loved them enough for him to learn the language to communicate that to them uh, personally. And so he's got a pretty good grip of the language. He can kind of work with or without a translator. As myself, uh, despite being a language graduate, um, uh, I'm nowhere near that. And so I often find myself in pretty vulnerable positions where I'm like, translating quite sensitive and important information through like six or seven year olds um, and it is really vulnerable because I'm just like you could literally be saying anything uh, you could be going rogue sharing your own opinions or kind of advice on the matter and I would have no idea um, and why do I say that I say that because God if he wanted to could speak in this big booming voice from the heavens down to his creation but he doesn't Instead, he chooses to speak, to communicate his most precious message of the gospel through the likes of us. The scriptures say that we are his ambassadors, his mouthpiece almost, as if, as if he were making his appeal through us. Meaning that we are given the most incredible privilege and responsibility of translating the good news of the gospel to those around us in ways that they can understand. To show up and keep showing up. Not just sharing good news, though that's important, we need to preach the gospel, but being good news so that our message has authority and integrity. Not just telling people that God loves them, but showing that he does by the lengths that we're willing to go to, um, invest in our time, energy, and resources that, that they might get a glimpse of who God is and how he loves by the way that we live our lives. Because believe it or not, we are God's plan to make it believable that he is good and loving and true. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. The trouble is that we don't always live uh, as if we believe what we claim to be true, do we? That God really does love everyone, not just people who look and think like us. That Jesus really is coming back again to judge the living and the dead, and like eternity really is eternal. And you and I are one, gonna, one day going to have to stand before the throne of God and give an account for how we've lived our short lives on this earth. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, God really, really, really is making all things new. We just need to rediscover a little bit of what it means to live like it's true. And so if the bands want to start coming up, um, I'd just love to close by offering a few uh, tips of how we might begin to go about um, doing that, living out our true identities as beloved sons and daughters, new creations in Christ. Uh, and so the first is, uh, is simply to begin. Um, I don't know if I, yeah, great, you guys are on the slides. Um, sorry, I'm rubbish with technology, so I'm sorry that it's like not more jazzy. Um, <laughs> but the first, literally, point number one is begin. So um, there's an amazing author, Annie Dillard, and she used to say that how we live our lives is how we live our days. Uh, and so if you and I want to be remembered as people who really knew God, who were at ease in his presence and prophetic and prayerful in the way that we live our lives, then we need to start that today. Because what we do today determines who we are tomorrow, right? And our lives are just an accumulation of our days. So tip one, begin. Tip two, surround yourself, as you have, well done, uh, with a community who can encourage and challenge and hold you to account. People who sure aren't perfect, but who are committed to the message and will call you out if your translation's gone a bit rogue and you're causing harm to yourself and a bit of confusion amongst those that you're called to witness to. 
Tip number three, stay humble. Remembering that humans look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So stay humble and teachable. It's okay to admit when you're wrong. Or as my friend says, uh, tell tales on yourself before the devil gets a chance to. It's cool to say that you're wrong and that you messed up. <laughs> Tip four, show up and keep showing up, even when you leave with nothing tangible to show for it. One of them's making a noise. Um, great. We're just going to um, stand and, and, and wait a little bit. And we're going to ask God to come and meet with us, which is something he loves to do. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, if you're new, just, just hang out and watch. It's cool. Um, so we're going to do that just by praying the most ancient prayer of the church, which is come Holy Spirit. Um, if you want to stretch out your hands, um, you don't have to, but just kind of a way of saying, God, I'm open. Um, and so let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Speak to your church. And we're just going to wait and see what he says, see what he does. 